Welcome to Bibliovile! Every week, a man and his wife get together to get each other the worst books they can think to find in a library. This week, Mick read Nancy Martin's A Little Night Murder, and I read Yasmin Galanorn's Crimson Veil from the Otherworld series. You have to know when, when to hold them, know when to pull them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Okay. Howdy, y'all. My Welcome to Bibliovile. My name is Mick Dickinson. I am the co-host of this here podcast. I don't know why I'm talking country. I've been singing Kenny Rogers' The Gambler a bunch. And frankly, I know when to hold them, I know when to fold them, and I know when to turn it over to my wife and other co-host, Susan. And I am the wife and other co-host, Susan Dickinson. Welcome to Bibliovile. It's going to be such a magical adventure tonight, you guys. You don't even know. I have never been more excited to talk about one of these books than I am right now. Neat. That's good. I'm excited to hear about it. So great. Because let's review the rules. Uh, I picked out this book for you and then clamped my ears shut. Mm -hmm. He has heard nothing. I have heard absolutely no responses other than like, ooh, that's about the only response I've heard from I was trying so hard to like peer pressure Mick into reading his book faster so that we could record. Last night I got home from work at like 9.45 and I was like, you finished your book, are we ready to record? And then I... in bed asleep, like no, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, and then I woke up. But tonight she finally got to me so much so that we are not watching the world's oldest tradition. The kickoff of the NFL season. And frankly, that was hard for me. Okay, but here's the other reason why we're not watching it. We don't have cable. Okay, well, (laughs) you make a valid point, but I would do just about anything to see my boy, Cam, take on those dang Denver Broncos. Is he... Did you draft him on your fantasy football team? No. Did someone steal him? Yes. They got to your boy, Cam, before you could? In the chat down beneath, you may have seen me go, No! What is this horse baloney? <laughs> so every year, the Dickinson fam has a league that they put together for fantasy football. And every year, except for this one, I have just stood by and watched. Last or year during the, the draft, bar. I went to the bar with the other sister-in-law that does not get involved. Um, much to the chagrin of her husband, who was left with all the kids. And um, this year, for the very first time... Susan Dickinson is making her fantasy football debut. Well, fantasy football coaching debut. No one drafted you. No, no one drafted me. Unfortunately, I think I would do great. You would get, score more points than my brother's uh, last round pick, Tim Tebow. <laughs> is Tim Tebow not going to score any points? No, he doesn't play football anymore. He's still available on the draft board Why for some reason. Why is he still available on the draft board if I don't he doesn't play football People anymore. draft him, I guess. Oh my goodness. Yeah, uh, so the Fantasy Football League, very excited to start, very excited to show Susan what points are in the league and how winning works. Drafting was so stressful. Mick was trying to give me advice, but he was also, like, very wrapped up in his own, like, drafting his own team. And so he would tell me things about, like, make sure that their bye weeks are different. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know what a bye week is. I think that's when they don't play. That is indeed when they don't play, and also what... Uh, I severely messed up on because I went to go look at another person's team to see what they had been drafting and then forgot to click back to my own. And so kept drafting people to this other person's team and be like, I don't remember drafting this person, but I guess I did. 
<laughs> and so I ended up with uh, three wide receivers in a row because the other person was picking running backs instead. Um, I think that one of the most stressful parts of it for me was that when we first started, I was second. I was the second person to go, and we did a snake draft, which meant that like I would get to pick someone, and then at like the end of a round, then the person the behind person. me would go twice, and then it would be my turn again. I'm not ready for this. I'm so not ready for this. Well, you could have been like... I'm still trying to remember what a running back does. He runs backwards. Oh. Yeah, that makes all sense now. Yeah. Uh, could have been worse. You could have been like me. A sixth round, or uh, the sixth pick in the draft, bookended by people who use their full clock to do nothing. That was very frustrating. But anyway... I have closed the Fantasy Live scoring app, unless you hear me, like, gasp or something. I have not looked at it, because I will pay attention and be talking. But this week, I read Nancy Martin's A Little Night Murder. And frankly, is that supposed to be a pun in the title? Because it sounds like it's supposed to be a pun. So, I have a confession to make. When I picked out this book, in my mind, I read it as A Little Light Murder. Yeah. And I found that really, really entertaining. Like, not all the way murder, just just some light murder. Light treason. Yeah, just just some light murder along with my light raspberry vinaigrette salad dressing. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I guess it, it's not one of those punny titles. You know, a lot of bad books we've read have pun titles. Yes. And, I mean, you know how much I hate puns. Uh, a Little Night Murder is the 11th story... The ninth book, but the eleventh story, in the Blackbird Sisters mystery series. That's magical. And can I ask a question? How is it the ninth book, but the eleventh story? There are two novellas. Oh, um, yes, interesting. A, a All right, full-length book. And so, a little night murder goes along with other titles such as How to Murder a Millionaire, uh, Dead Girls Don't Wear Diamonds, Some Like It Lethal. Cross your hope and hope to die. Have your cake and kill him, too. Crazy little thing called death. Murder melts in your mouth. So these all sound like uh, Angela Lansbury mm -hmm. episode titles, right? Um, the biggest thing about A Little Night Murder that I'm going to talk about on the podcast, because I bring up something else on the blog, which you can find at opinionsandother.blogspot.com. We write uh, written book reports as well as having oral uh, exams here. We try to switch up the things so you don't just hear the same things twice. On the blog, you'll read about how this book tantalized me. Had me thinking we were going somewhere good, and then dropped me on my head. It was very disappointing. But the thing I'm going to talk about tonight is the drama of this book. Drama. Does that drama have a capital D? It has a capital like everything. Oh, man. Because, I mean, it's the same way in my notes. Here's the customary hearing of the notebook flipping. Uh, no episode of Bibliovile would be complete without it. On page six, this is page six. The book begins, by the way, with a discussion of dick pics. Oh, good. Oh, good indeed. There That's are, a good topic. The two sisters are waiting outside the jail, waiting for one of the sisters, the, our protagonist, Nora's good friend to get out of jail. Okay. I'm not going to tell you about the plot too much. The plot's pretty dumb. A woman is murdered, and then it's the exact person and people that you thought it was going to be. Um, so the plot itself is lacking. There's some cool subtext and light motifs? Leet motifs? Leet motifs. Weight motifs? 
I don't know. Are they in time? Or, um, and I talked about that in the blog. But the main plot of it is very boring. But there's... Like I said, this is the 11th book story in this mm. series. And so it has to reference previous events in the story. Mm-hmm. But it can't go into too much detail because it's assuming that you've read it already, right? Yeah. And so on page six, this story gets going. She set her tea down on the table and she got serious fast. Your husband got himself killed with drugs and stupidity, Nora. That wasn't your fault. It felt like my fault, though. I hadn't done enough. Hadn't dragged him to the right doctors. Hadn't locked him up or tied him to a bedpost. Anything to keep him away from cocaine. In my worst moments, I feared I enabled him. Oh my <laughs> that is page six. It gets even better That's as we go along. That's intensity right there. It just goes. It starts and it's amazing. She is pregnant of seven months, but everyone... With the cocaine guy? No, with her new boyfriend, whose okay. name actually is Mick. Oh, that's your name. That's my name. Yeah. So it might get confusing. Uh, there are a lot of stereotypes in this book, but I think that was done on purpose because it has to do a lot with Broadway. And so Broadway is, like, built on stereotypes and overacting. And if there's one thing this book does, it is overacting. But the thing, the biggest one that just gets me is just dropping us into it. Like this. It talks about a boy, a relative of hers. It says, This boy had made a mistake in judgment last winter during his senior year in high school. He ended up fathering a child with a woman who, there is no other way to say it, deliberately seduced him to get herself pregnant and then went to prison for murder. <laughs> You know, that girl from your high school. And that is, like, <laughs> and that's the introduction of the the guy, not the girl. We never see the woman who got pregnant and had this kid. But oh these people, by the way, Mick and Nora, which it's like me and a uh, name that I enjoy, mm-hmm. are waiting for a baby to pop out uh, of her tummy. Because it's a so baby. Where babies come from? Yeah. yeah. Oh, weird. And they collect babies like trading cards. They have her sister's baby that she, like, gave up, has no claim to. And the father doesn't want to handle it, and his new wife definitely doesn't want to, because she's she's addicted to pain pills. Because drama. And so they just, like, take this baby while he's busy... And have it for some of the book. And they're going to adopt this murderer's baby once it pops out. And then have their own baby once she has a baby. And they're not married yet, but they're getting married soon. And it's a thing that I'll talk about. Um, back to these previous plots just delivered in Bon Mots. Bon Mots, I believe it's how it's pronounced. It's, it keeps going. It just never stops. Her family's history assumably is really deep and detailed in the other books but her previous husband executed by a drug dealer (laughs) uh her sisters is shot escaping a murder charge and her third or second sisters was an nfl quarterback who dies in a car crash distraught from that death she commits arson and flees to florida (laughs) so it just kind of keeps going. All of those things are so extreme. Like, it's not even, like, someone died or went to jail in a, like, 
relatively run-of-the-mill kind of way. Like, everything is extreme. It's, it's extreme. Nothing is, like, mildly dramatic. No, yeah. Nothing is, like, a drama. It is drama. Everything is drama. And I like this one, this analogy better than I said the other one. This couple is slowly but surely collecting babies like borrowed DVDs. <laughs> so, listener... Oops, someone left this baby at my house. I guess it's mine now. It's now. Like, I borrowed this baby a while ago, but... By now, it would be weird to take it back. Yeah. That's more what it's like. They've probably forgotten about it. I'll just keep it. Yeah. It'll be easier just to keep it. I, wa- I watch it every once in a while. Um, but the the protagonist, Nora, who's pregnant, works at a newspaper in Philadelphia because she is this blue blood, old rich mm-hmm. lady who has lost a lot of her money, so now she needs to work. She works at a newspaper in Philadelphia, I assume fictional, named the Philadelphia intelligencer oh man the philadelphia intelligencer yes as in it intelligences i like to think about it as it's intelligencer than you (laughs) (laughs) either way it doesn't really make sense um and she's good at her job her job is going to fancy parties dressed up uh reporting on all of the other people who are there dressed up uh, but she likes to put a little philanthropy twist on it, so she only goes to, like, charity balls. So she's, like, a high-society charity writer. Not that she writes for charity. Like, she writes about charities. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to do some good as this newspaper devolves into tabloidism and unintelligencerousness. Oh, because reporting celebrity gossip at charity events is really going to do a lot of good for the world. I mean, she put out her 10 best and 10 worst charities in Philadelphia article, and it really helped people know what to give their money. Oh, I bet. So, so the she, ones that were trendy and attracted the most local celebrities, those were the, the top ones, I'm assuming? No, actually, the ones who like gave the most money to the cause and oh, stuff. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. And so she's trying to, like, positive, positively reinforce charities to start giving more money away. Mm. But she goes to all these parties, and basically it's just like, they hired baseball players to be waiters, and there's all this art there that they're not going to sell, and they're just going to have it now, and it's dumb. Um, and it, it leads into a lot of fashion reporting, which, as you can tell from me, I am into that. And I know what a Gabbana gown, or is that a Cabana? Dolce and Cabana. I'd love some, thank you. Um, but do we have enough gin? <laughs> anyway, the biggest important thing about, biggest important, biggest important thing about her importance job. Importance or thing? Yes. The sir thing about her job is her boss. And yes. her boss is the worst. Oh, is he the worst? He is the worst. He is an Australian man. Oh, usually those are kind of good. Named like Gus. One mm. weird thing about this story is that you are not sure how old anyone is. <laughs> like They probably did that on purpose. Like, they want you, if you're in your 20s, they want you to imagine them all being 20-something. And then if you're 50... Yeah, but, like, clues are an important character trait. Like, yeah. Age is an important character trait where it's like, okay, is this one lady hitting on men because she's like riled up and 27 but got pregnant early and has these kids already or is she a like a 40 50 something cougar yeah hitting on older men for their money like it's important to know that sort of thing but anyway this gus he's an australian man he is speaks entirely in crocodile and dundee scripts 
he just sucks. He constantly reminds Nora, the protagonist, that he is physically attracted to her. He withholds promotions and praise for her job in place of uh, commenting on the way that she is dressed, if it's seductively, uh, telling her that her boyfriend is no good and that she should be dating him instead. Even going... Yeah, going so far as to say that it should have been him that impregnated her. Oh, right? ew! Terrible. Awful. Gets worse. Ugh. So his family, in true... I, I appreciated the, like, Law & Order ripped from the headline style. Like, Rupert Murdoch, the guy who owns Fox News and all that, is Australian. And so his family, uh, in the Gus, the fictional person's family... Mm-hmm is trying to buy a bunch of newspapers in America, and one of them is in Philadelphia, like trying to create a media empire in America. And Philadelphia people won't have it, not because they're, like, have a strength of conscience about conglomeration with the media. They are just mad that he is Australian and not American. Mm. And so Gus is running the front lines for his dad's, uh, frankly, unconstitutional purchase of all this media, and he needs a person with an in to these Philadelphia blue bloods, and he looks at Nora and wants her to do his dirty work for him. Mm-hmm. He does not tell Nora this. He tells his family because he wants to uh, be like the person in charge of this acquisition. He tells them that they are engaged and that it, the baby she's having is hers. Does not tell her that he tells his family this until, what? until she accidentally answers his phone and it's his sister, and she's like, oh, congrats on the baby. I can't wait to see my crikey nephew mate and it's awful because it's like you're lying to your family you didn't tell her she marches in and goes like you need to not do that please tell them that this is not your baby i'm not dating you i don't want to date you you're gross and you have chest hair and a big knife or whatever but he instead offers her a promotion to stop the conversation from getting out of hand Okay. And she's like, I, one of the weird things about this book is that everyone's extraordinarily easily distracted. Like, they just follow the conversation that's put in front of them instead of establishing mm-hmm. their own conversation. So he changes the conversation. She starts talking about that instead, and the, it's dropped, right? Mm-hmm. And so then they, they it goes about the thing, and he keeps pressuring her not to marry the person that she's in love with and wants to marry and is withholding, like, job praise because of it and then he somehow like hires a person on the newspaper staff to follow her to find out when the wedding is so he comes to the wedding right Uh. and he tells her like there's something important i gotta tell you oh back up his or her sister runs into them and has the world's worst flirting scene it's so movies like 50s movie and it's like, hey, big spender, how about you come see how the other half lives? And it's like, you're also super rich, and yeah. you've never met this person. Like, you know how 50s movies have really weird flirtation? Mm-hmm. It was like that. And then they climb the pickup and drive away, and the sister's like, I can't believe you're still working for that guy. You're obviously in love with him. And I just, like, put the brakes on the book, and I was like, no! No other thing, no other clue in this book has led me once to decide that. And the per- the protagonist is like, oh my goodness. And she doesn't agree, but she's like worried. And I'm like, girl, no, you've no, done you're not. nothing. You like specifically do not really like him anymore. Anyway, fast forward. 
he follows her to the wedding and is like, hey, I need to talk to you. And I was really afraid that it was going to be some sort of the graduate situation. Mm. And she's like, no, dude, I'm getting married right now. Yeah. It's like a courthouse. Yeah, yeah, it's a small courthouse wedding that they invite a bunch of people to. So, oh, yeah, her husband gets out of jail with working with the FBI in time to get there. It's a whole thing that I don't have time to get into. But because that plot was actually really good. I liked his plot a lot, and not just because his name was Mick. And so she ignores him to go up on the stage with the dude, and he's dressed in his best attire, and she has this, like, perfect dolce dress or whatever. And as she's standing there, and the judge goes, does anybody know why this u- this union should not be wed? Which, do you remember our Coharis wedding? Yes. Did they say that at all? No, he didn't say a whole lot, though. No. There's also, like, no one there that well, would have objected. <laughs> it's it's a script. Yeah. Like, no one ever actually says anything about objecting. No. He's like... That only happens in books and movies. Yeah, he's like, show. do you take this person? I'm like, yeah. Do you take this person? Yeah. And do you have your wedding license? Yes. Okay, you're technically married. Enjoy your actual wedding. Yeah. Later. Sweet. I love that decision. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but... Does anyone have a reason to uh, object? And who speaks up but the Australian? And he says, I'm sorry to interject in such a dramatic fashion. And you're like, no, you're not. You no, you're not. Dickweed. You planned this. This and is he, why you wanted to find out when the wedding and was. And he walks up with a, a letter of dubious legal truthiness. Like, I don't think this thing actually exists. But if, mm-hmm. in the fiction of the book, he married her by proxy in Paraguay. So she didn't give his her consent, but since he did it by proxy, they didn't really ask, and so they're Paraguayan married, and so she can't get what? married. Yeah, so she can't get married on her wedding day, because he's so desperate to have her be married to him for his family's illegal acquisition of the newspapers. This is bizarre. That he ruined her life for it. And, like, happiest day of her life. And, it, like, the the wedding, the lead-up to the wedding with, with her being, like, I love this man and I'm really happy to spend the rest of my life with him was, like, really romantic. Yeah. And that's a thing we're going to talk about in a hot second. But the dude is, like, oh, we, I have this little slip of paper, so we can't. And the judge goes, all right. And, like, there's a bunch of lawyers there. And they're, like, no, dude, this doesn't work. And the judge is, like, it's 5 o'clock. I'm going home. And so they have to call off the wedding. And the mafioso husband... Did I tell you he was in the Mafia? No. Yeah, he's in the Mafia. This is news to me. Uh, goes to, like, beat his ass. and like, yeah, you go, buddy. And But there's, like, tons of cops there, so they won't let him. So instead, to get his comeuppance, they have him, like, walking along a uh, the marble of the courthouse. And a, one of the toddlers that they adopted, your uh, Hitch, which is now on DVD, mm-hmm. uh, throws the rubber ducky, and he steps on it and falls down the stone steps, breaks his nose and, like, five other bones in his body. And you're led to believe that he died. And then like, the next chapter starts up, and it's like, oh, he's fine. I'd rather have his ass beat by the dude we know than fall down some <laughs> stairs and, I think, die. The death part kind of takes some pleasure out of it, right? Like, the dude died, and you're like, oh, crap. Dang. Yeah. This dude is messed up, but, like, still dying. Whatever. So that's the boss. He's awful and terrible. And also is probably going to get fired, um, which is good. But the thing, other thing I want to talk about, and this is the last one, is that this is the first book I've read for Bibliobile that actually had, like, a positive, constructive relationship in it. And it's between oh, nice. a, yeah, a pregnant woman, pregnant out of wedlock, which, chase your bliss, and a gangster in the mafia. <laughs> and this is the one time where 
it was bad writing because they were talking and then they're like, we should probably stop yelling. I was like, I didn't know you guys were yelling. Oh, yeah. But they looked at each other and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm really stressed out. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a frustrating environment to be in. There are a lot of things going on. And the other person looked at them and goes, I understand. I also am stressed out. We should work on these things. Like, if we're going to get married, we should that's grow together. That's super functional, yeah. It was super that's like, functional. That's like a thing that people in relationships yeah, do. Yeah, I was yeah. really excited about the conversation they had. And the weirdest part was that later in the book, it's a super short, it's only like a paragraph, and it's more like led you to believe this was going there, but at the time, I was super creeped out because they start like having a sex scene, and I was really worried it would be like a pages long sex scene, Mm -hmm. and I found myself more uncomfortable about the sex scene because I like realized that this is a honest and collaborative and constructive relationship, and so I was really weirded (laughs) out by it. And I'm like, no, they're private people. Yeah, <laughs> like, leave them alone. Yeah. We don't need them. I mean, there's a reason why people watch pornography of strangers and not, like, the people they know. Yeah. Like, you don't want to see the people you know doing it or, like... Like, people oh, people in real life. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to see a husband and wife enjoying each other's company and... Like, that's private. marital bliss. Like, get that away from me. I just want to watch strangers boink. Okay, I have a question, though. Mm-hmm. So, the title of this book is A Little Night Murder. Yes. Who gets murdered? Okay. You can just give me, like, a super fast rundown. So... Like ten seconds or less. Yeah. There is a old-timey Broadway composer whose daughter is writing a musical, and they're passing it off as one of the ones that he wrote before he died so that they'll make a lot of money. She's going to go public and tell everyone how it's her musical, and so the people running the musical kill her so that she can't uh, tell people that it's her musical. The Her mother is named Boom Boom, and she's the Jewish stereotype. Oh and then there's the leading lady actress that uh, wears a wig, but is also like super good at dancing and acting. And so it's led, like I believe that she'd be like thirty something, but she has gray balding hair underneath her wig, and so it's very confusing. And also the musical turns out to be a comedy based on our protagonist's family, so she's all mad about that. But uh, later they surprise them and. She's tied up, the murderers have tied up her husband's mother, who is like a brashy, sassy musical humdinger, and it's a whole escape, and it's dumb. That was the worst part of it. None of this makes any sense at all, and I love yeah. it. Yep. yep. What were your overall, like, Impressions? overall feelings about the book? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Was it tolerable, intolerable? If, if I had stopped reading the book by some force of nature at 75%, I would have been sad. I couldn't have finished it. Okay. I was into it. There yeah. are a lot of like subplots that you... This is the first book I have trusted the author to get me to the end in a satisfactory fashion. Mm-hmm. That is very rare in Bibliolau. Unfortunately, my trust is misplaced. Yeah. So the fact that I finished it and I'm looking back, I'm like, I was a fool to believe. Yeah. And the writing was never good, but it was pretty passable. You know, it was that mm. classic, like, people not reacting like actual people do. Like, someone was surprised, and this is how it's written, clasped their throat. Clasped their throat? Like, yeah. They like the international sign themselves? of choking. Yeah. yeah. But... I think they mean, like, more like a pearls-grabbing motion. Oh, yeah, like clutched your pearls. But that's clutched your chest. Or clutched your pearls. Or clutched your pearls. But she said clutched the throat, which would be like this. And it's terrifying. Why don't you, like... (laughs) Sorry about your ears, listener. (laughs) Anyway, overall, uh, stop reading at 75%. This is... 
should be kind of celebrated for its, uh, I think, positive uh, interpretation of female sexuality. But uh, a lot of people come across as just hussies. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, Mick. Hey, what? Hey, Mick. Hey, Mick. What's hey, that? Mick. Can I talk about my book now? You can talk about your book. <laughs> What's the name of your book? I am so excited to talk about this book. This book is called Crimson Veil. It is by Yasmin Galanorn. Wait, wait, wait. Is it written by one of the characters in this book? Yasmin Galanorn? Yasmin Galanorn, who is, by the way, I learned in the end part of this book, a shamanic witch. Shaman? She's a shaman Sh- and a witch? Apparently. Yes, and this book, this book is bad, and I love it. Nice. I was very excited when I read the back. This book, it is ridiculous. It's just, it's just insane. There's so many things about this book. I'm. I like. I don't even. I've been thinking for like the past four days since I finished it about where to even start. So this book is part of the Other World series, and it is book fifteen of nineteen. So, much like, I feel like when you were talking, I found a couple similar things. So, the writing is passable in this book. Nice. But, like, everything else about it is so insane. (laughs) And I had a really hard time, like, I talk about this a lot in the blog post, but kind of my overwhelming thoughts about it were that I had a really hard time deciphering, okay, I don't understand anything that's happening in this book at all. How much of that is because it's bad, (laughs) <laughs> and how much of that is because it's book 15 of 19. So this series, can I have it back for a second? I, I want to read to you some of the other book titles in this series because they're all amazing. Witchling, Changeling, Darkling, Dragon Witch, and Witch is spelled with a Y instead of an I. Night Huntress, Demon Mistress, Bone Magic. Harvest hunting, blood wine. <laughs> wine is spelled with wait, a Y wait, instead wait, wait. of an I. Hey, baby, it's a Friday night. I lit some candles, did some incantations. You know, how about we get down to some bone, bone magic? magic. <laughs> Shaded vision, autumn whispers. Like, they're just, it's just awesome. It's great. So this whole series is insane. Um, it is about a whole bunch of people and like, different books in the series follow different characters. And so, like, presumably, if you've read the whole series, you are familiar with all of the characters that have had their own individual book, and you're familiar with the other characters that have, like, come up in those books, like, that have that have been characters in those books. So in the first scene, we meet this whole, like, Greek chorus of people... <laughs> And here are some of their names. Our protagonist is Manali, Nerissa, Teva, Digger, Malin, Morio, Shade. It's me, Morio! And then Derek and Chase. Oh, yes. Hi. <laughs> like, I feel like one of the reasons that they have such a huge range of names is because there's just so many characters that you have to go, like, super weird and then just, like, have a bob. Like, yeah. you need a bob and a dave. <laughs> Morio unsheathed his Dawnbreaker sword, and Derek was all like, whoa, man, that's pretty uncool. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Derek is, like, the go-to Derek. boring person name. Right. Um, and so... <laughs> I just gotta, I gotta find my thoughts. They're all over the place. So, 
the series like kind of centers on you all right there buddy yeah i'm okay. dying this that's not good don't die well from his hilarity okay so the series like kind of focuses on these three sisters um their names are manali delilah and camille and they are half fae from Otherworld, which is a parallel universe that is connected to this one by the Ionic Seas. Mm, yes. Um, but they're currently living Earthside. Wait, wait, wait. With the in Ionic Seattle. Seas? With the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Yep. You got another, like, fantasy world modern America story? Yep. Oh, God. Um, the Ionic Seas would be saltwater, is what I was going to say before I was distracted by the Emerald Seattle. City being in the... And then the two elves went to a Sounders game, and it was totes nuts. Derek was there, and he was pretty wasted. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it goes, to be honest. Oh, Jesus. So there's, like, I think that in the like greater story arc of the whole series this book is sort of like an in-between point like it like it it talks about the aftermath of the previous book and then kind of sets up for a bunch of other things so like by itself it's so confusing nice. because it's so much like a slice of the bigger arc and <laughs> I guess they don't episode. right and so they don't really explain anything because who other than us would start at book 15 <laughs> and so there's so much that goes unexplained so like there's this whole plot line about the knights of Karastar and their spirit seals and how they have to get them to Wait, the dragons what? who are going to bring them to safety no like seals like uh oh. like like a, not like the animal no oh. That would have been great. I would have understood that probably a lot more. I'd be like, a seal. I know what that is. It balances a magical ball on his nose. Pretty much. And then there's, like, in the beginning, we're talking a lot about this person named Queen Asteria, and she died. And we don't, I don't know who that is or why it's important that she died. So there's just, like, all these things that I didn't understand. But... I am going to explain to you some of the brief background, and this was on, like, page 20, so I was already pretty thoroughly confused by the time we got some background about who some of these characters are. So here's a brief explanation, and this is some, like, these are my words, not the book's words. Okay. But so this is just a brief summary of who some of our main characters are. Let's hear okay. Manali and her sisters are half-human, half-fae. Manali has been turned into a vampire. But the sisters are in charge of the Earthside division of the OIA, which is the Otherworld Intelligence Agency. Not OWIA? Um, Camille, one of the sisters, is mm. a witch and a priestess of the Moon Mother. And best enjoyed before bedtime. She is married to a dragon. <laughs> and she is also married to a fae. And she is also married to a yukai kitsune who is teaching her death magic. Wow, she keeps herself busy. She, she also uh, runs half marathons. Oh, She's probably, got three yeah. She's got a lot of hobbies. Learning death magic. There's more. Delilah, the third sister, hey is a werecat. Mm. She's a two-faced werecat, so she can either turn into a tabby or a black panther, depending on her mood. Yeah. She's also a Typical death maiden. She's a death maiden of the Autumn Lord. And she is engaged to a half-shadow dragon, half-shadow walker. They also have a fourth sister named Ariel, who is only mentioned briefly in the book. She is a spirit oh, a leopard. Oh. 
Thought, stop talking. This is good stuff. I thought she was a mermaid. No, she's not a mermaid. She's a spirit leopard, and she only shows up to help them in battle when they're in need. Wow. What a bitch. It's right? like, oh, welcome, Ariel. Thanks for coming. Thanks for showing up, Ariel. Also, the map in the front of this book, I am fairly certain, has been ripped straight out of a Tolkien novel. Like, it looks exactly like same. Middle Earth. Like, yeah. the font is the same. I think the map actually looks the same. Well, wait, wait, wait. Why is it Yuriyurindistar? Yeah, so this is their homeland. This is the state in Otherworld that they're from, and it's... Good thing it's perfectly square. Yuriyurindistar. Yeah, I don't know. That's not really talked about at all, which is fine by me. There's just some amazing things. How much of this book is spent in capitals, would you say? A lot is spent in capitals and a lot is spent in abbreviations. So, like, full-blood, because there's vampires, so we also have to differentiate who's a full-blooded human. And those are referred to as FBHs. And they did not explain that until, I'm not kidding, like 60% through the book. So I was wow. like, what is an FBH? I don't know. That's that's bad AP styling. And then ES is Earthside, also not explained until later in the book. OW is Otherworld. OWI is... Um, there's a whole, whole bunch of stuff. Operating while intelligent, sir. It's just indecipherable. And fantastic. And it's awesome. Um, so, our main character, Manali, is married to a woman named Nerissa, oh. and they actually have, like, a really good relationship, like, kind of when you were talking about, nice. there's actually, like, a functional relationship in here. Good. They're, like, they talk about their problems, and, um, they, like, really care about each other, and they are, like, working on understanding their own hang-ups so that they can be, like, a better wife to the other person. Like, that's, nice. that's solid. That's really good. Low impact. Except for the part where Manali is also the official consort to a vampire lord. <laughs> mm. Honey, do you want to go do you want to go for a long bike ride down the Cascade Trail? I'm sorry I can't. I'm screwing a vampire tonight. <laughs> and like that's actually like that's one of the conversations that they have is Nerissa like tries to make plans. She's like I have to go see his name is I think Ronin or Roman something like that. I don't even remember. No, that's the Horse Kingdom from Lord of the Rings. That's Rohan. I was like, I say, that's no, not Ronan. That's the main character from the Gunslinger books. <laughs> that's Roman. No, that's that's the guy. That's the singer for Black Flag. I don't know that one. I Henry Rollins. Oh my ah. goodness. So, yeah, a lot of my notes are just questions like, <laughs> who is Grandmother Coyote? <laughs> <laughs> what is a spirit seal? Who is Queen Asteria and why is she dead? Well, all things die, Sue. <laughs> like... <laughs> so then the other super confusing part about this book is the action scenes. Because they're just... They're, like, this is the part that's really badly written. For the most part, like, the writing isn't terrible in these books. But in the action scenes, it's just especially awful. <laughs> and so... You'll be in, like, the middle of what you think is supposed to be, like, an action scene or a battle scene, and then two characters will just be, like, having a chat. Like, so how are you doing, Derek? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you know, the, my manager at Jimmy John's has been writing me kind of hard lately. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um, yeah, and and the other confusing thing, and this happens especially around the, the battle scenes or the action scenes, 
is that characters are like brought in and introduced and we learn about their backstory and then they just never appear again in the book. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you didn't tell me the backstory on the main actual characters. Like, why are we going so in-depth into Bran and uh, their the cousin Shamus and like Shamus? all this Shamus? Yeah. Not Shamus. No, Shamus. S-H-A-M-M-U-S. So it's got to be Shamus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. So, like, why are they going into so much detail about Bran and Shamus, who are literally in the book for, like, ten minutes? And then their cousin Daniel, who shows up and... Daniel, my cousin. <laughs> you are over 40. <laughs> and, so... <laughs> and so, like, all of these characters, we spend pages learning all about them. And then they're involved in an action scene, and then they're gone. And, like, some of time. them, they no, they, like, literally go into another plane. Like, they go back to Otherworld. Or like, something. to Portland? Or they, or... they go to the, they go through the Ionic Seas, whatever that means. <laughs> also, dragons aren't really dragons. They're just people that are also dragons. And I think they can transform into real dragons, but I don't know. So, like, a, a typical conversation in the OW would be, like, hey, uh... You better not make me mad. I'm going to turn into, a, like, a four-story-tall, four-legged, scaly, fire-breathing monster. Uh, I'm I'm a dragon. Oh, cool. Well, my name's Derek, and I work at Jimmy John's. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, like... They also don't really talk a whole lot about, like, interactions between all of these kinds of creatures and, like, normal humans. It's just a bullet point list of creatures? Yeah! It's just <laughs> so strange. Um, and in addition to, like, the random, like, chats in the middle of the action scenes, that also happens in the two sex scenes. Like, oh. in the sex scene between Manali and her wife. Nice. Like, it's supposed to, like, they're working it up to make it feel like it's supposed to be very, like, dangerous and naughty. And then in the middle of it, like, Narissa starts crying because she had a bad day at work, which, like... Ugh. Like, you just set up this super steamy sex scene. Wait, wait. And then one of your characters starts to cry because her boss said something mean and she, she had work? to deal with something. Like, and she's, like, essentially the mythical version of a social worker. So, like, I'm sure your job sucks. So she's, like, crying about something, like, actually bad that happened in the middle of a sex scene. It was just weird. I'm sorry. I'm a fantasy mandatory reporter. I'm going to have to tell my supervisor about this. <laughs> I'm a half man, half line, dirty poor reporter. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I know. I, I liked it. I was Thank just you. also trying to figure out, like, what the heck to even talk about from here. Because there's just so, 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 so much. Um, But I will say, like, back to the, like, there are some actual solid relationships um, and, and, like, solid examples of what good relationships look like. And some of the weirdest advice is given by Manali's vampire lord consort mm. about her wife. And he says, because they just got married, and he says, you can't just take on the title of wife and expect that wearing it will be enough. You have to live the part. And it's basically being like you can't just marry someone and assume that everything's going to be good you actually have to like put the work in and i don't know maybe not sleep with random vampires when say, you're married you know so you know relationships relationships take communication hard work and putting each other first also let's screw and so i can drink your blood yep <laughs> pretty much um 
So the main plot arc, or at least the closest thing to a main plot arc that we get in Crimson Veil, revolves around finding this... Okay, I have a pronunciation question. So there's the word demon, like D-E-M-O-N. Yeah. And that's used in here. But there's also D-A-E-M-O-N. Is that Damon? I believe that's still demon. Okay, then I never there's two the... different kinds of demons. I never... <laughs> so the demon with an A, um, there's a demon with an A named Lowstar, and he is running a sex slave operation in underground Seattle, <laughs> and he has also burned down Manali's bar, and so that's how Wait, she gets involved. Wasn't she a, the social worker? No, her wife is a social worker. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Manali's wife, Christ. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, that makes more sense. Wait, yeah. is Manali's wife a fantasy thing too? Um, she's a were cat, a were puma. She's a were puma. Uh, they usually live in the jungles of South Africa. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, back to Lowstar, the demon with an A. So, in like the final three chapters, they find him, and because they've been like trying to track him down vaguely through the whole book. And he's in the middle of, and this is literally not brought up until the very end of the book. He is in the middle of a ritual to wake an ancient demigod. Hmm. And in the most anticlimactic battle scene ever, Lostar is killed by the demigod when he awakens him. The demigod is released into Seattle, and no one really cares. They just go home. <laughs> and, like, given the whole context of this book, I imagine this demigod just, like, Puts on some Chuck Taylors and is strolling <laughs> through Seattle. Demigod's like, cool, I got a demo to record. Yeah. I'm gonna go get some Starbucks. <laughs> hey, I want to check out Pike Place real quick. <laughs> it's just so weird. I gotta hang out with my bro Derek. He's getting off work from Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Man, We're that's... gonna meet up with his friend Chase and play some pool. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he got the 64 version of Mario Kart. Oh I want to get some of that action. I'm a demigod. I'm a gonna win. I'm a gonna win. <laughs> oh, so, okay, another thing that you mentioned about your book was that there were some times when you like thought the plot was going to go in one direction and you got kind of excited about it. Like, oh, is this going to happen? That would be something. Yeah. That happened in this book, too, because there was this whole sort of argument between Manali and her wife, Narissa, and then Narissa started getting really weird. And, like, it's Manali was worried that she was hiding something. And I totally thought that she was going to somehow wind up, like, being involved or, like, in cahoots with Lostar and the demon with an A. And, like, that actually would have been a pretty cool plot twist. Yeah. But it was just, like, the thing that she was hiding was that she was upset with Manali because Manali wasn't being open with her. And then they, like, had a phone call conversation before Manali went down to Lowstar's lair to interrupt the ritual. So, like, if you'd worked your shit out earlier, ladies, maybe the Debbie God wouldn't be strolling through Seattle in his truck tailors. So, nothing really gets resolved at all in this book. And I think that's part of, like, this book existed to set up for other books. But it's just sort of like, oh here's a God. bunch of characters and some stuff happens, and then we're done. Fantastic. But so, there's some really, really great things in this book. So, I already mentioned the like a couple of the other titles of the books in this series. 
then the map that was plagiarized straight from Tolkien. Then, when you get to the end, there's an excerpt from another book in a different series. There's a cast list? Then there's a cast list. Oh my god. And all of their names are insane. Um, let's see. Delilah Maria Te Maria, a.k.a. Delilah de Artigo. Like, everything is so complicated. And then there's, like, the the Diardigo sisters, lovers, and close friends. Bruce O'Shea, Iris's husband. Leprechaun. <laughs> Carter, leader of the Demonica Vecana Society, a group that watches and records the interactions of demon kin and humans through the ages. Carter is half demon and half titan. His father was Hyperion, one of the Greek titans. Like, wow. that person was not in this book at all. He better be managing that Jimmy Johnson six years or else his dad's going to be really disappointed. <laughs> right? Wait, did this person, like, just decide that, you know what? I'm going to have no repeats of Fantasy Creature. I feel like they thought that Maybe. if they had two creatures of the same type, they lose. Like, everybody is a different Tumblr fetish in yeah. this book. That, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. I mean, there's just some so weird things. Um, Shabon Morgan is one of the girl's friends. Um, she is a were seal and a member of the Puget Sound Harbor Seal Pod. So she's an actual seal. She's an actual seal, but she's not a spirit seal. Does she turn into a seal every full moon? Or does she turn into a seal she when she's She wasn't in like... this book at all. Oh. <laughs> she's just in the cast of characters. Wow. Um, then there's the glossary. What do you think a Puget sound sounds like? Pew, pew, pew! Jen, 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 jen. <laughs> um, there's also a glossary that defines some of the things. Like You know on... it's a good book when they have to be like, here's all the shit yeah, here's... I made up. And I probably, I would have understood things maybe a lot better if I had read this, but I didn't. Um, so like, a dryery is a dragon's lair. Let's see if they define a, a, a spirit seal. Oh, spirit seals. A magical crystal artifact. The spirit seal was created during the Great Divide. Oh, yes. Um, when the portals See, were sealed. Great Divide. When the portals were sealed, the spirit seal was broken in nine gems, and each piece was given to an elemental lord or lady. There's some definite tie-ins to that spider book that I, I read. I was excited about it. Maybe it's an, uh, like an... Extended universe. Yeah. These gems each have varying powers. Even possessing one of the spirit seals can allow the wielder... To weaken the portals that divide Otherworld, Earthside, and the subterranean realms. Ah, yes, Hades. If all of the seals are joined together again, then all of the portals will open. What are but the elementals I, in this book? I don't know. They don't talk about oh, it. Is it stone and ice? Probably stone and ice. Um, but the best part. The We're not end, at the best part? The very end. There's a playlist for Crimson Veil. Oh, God. There's a oh, playlist no. of I just songs. Saw the very first one. A playlist of songs that you can listen to while you're reading this book. Starting off with ACDC's Back in Black. Back in Black! But also Adele's Rumor Has It. Rumor Has It. Um, some Alice Cooper in there. Some Ooh. Arcade Fire. Sail by AWOL Nation. Oh, I think of that cat falling off the roof. Oh, you're right. That's the best part of that song. Um, a bunch of songs by the Black Angels, fitting. Um, let's see, what else that I know that's in here? Brick House by the Commodores. 
It's a bad book. Um, it's mighty terrible. Got some Fat Boy Slim. Ah, weapon of Pumped choice. Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the People. A bunch of songs by a band called Garbage, no, which no. is also what this book is. Some <laughs> Lady Gaga. Born This Way. Um, Poker Face and I Like It Rough. Oh. Some Leonard Skinner. Some Stone Temple Pilots. Some good Three Doors Down. Gotta mm. have some Three Doors Down on your playlist. Is there any Third Eye Blind? No, there's wish, no third eye blind. I wish you would step back from that vampire, my friend. I will understand. Yeah, so that's this book. Wait, it was. I'm a wear jumper. A wear jumper. So, that was this book. It was like every time I thought I couldn't be surprised by more bizarre things. They would throw and in wear pumas and playlists and spirit seals. Oh, man. And dragons that weren't dragons. This might go down in history as the second best Bibliowile book. I think, your I think it best, might be. Definitely, your best. Was your best the Christmas, the Christmas sex. sex book? There was three Christmas sex books in one. Three Christmas sex books in one, where the second one turned out to be a ghost town these 40-odd years. I will <laughs> never get amazing. tired of that. That was amazing. I think, uh, I think this I think this takes it for me. Um, it was There have been other books that I have enjoyed more, um, but this one was... This one was good stuff. It was crazy, that's for sure. It was crazy. Well, I think that is going to do us for this edition of Bibliovile. I had Nancy Martin's A Little Night Murder, the most let-down-y book that I've ever read. And I had Yasmin Gallinorn's Crimson Veil, which you should read if you just want to take a break from feeling rational for a little bit. <laughs> we all like that. Yeah. Uh, actually, we can never do this uh, usually because we return our books or haven't yet gotten our new books, one or the other, before we record. Uh, but we actually have our new books set out in front of us. We are going to do... Uh, a couple's challenge bibliophile for our next episode between my brother and sister-in-law and us. Uh, we have the book Bear Meets Girl by Sherry... I can't read your writing. Shelley Lawrenson. Bear Meets Girl by Shelley Lawrenson. Shelley Lawrenson. So I really encourage you guys to pick up uh, Bear Meets Girl by Sherry Lawrenson and just know the pain that we're going through. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law are reading Kill M... I like E-M, with cayenne, as in the pepper. Kill him with cayenne. So if you are interested in reading along and seeing what we have to say, God have mercy on your soul for next week. But yeah, we're very excited about this uh, this super special coupled episode. Coupled episode. It's going to be great. And I believe um, we have two after, or one after that, and then it's each other's worst books. Yes, for our 10th episode, we are inflicting pain back on the other. So we are each going to pick the worst book that we have read so far during Bibliovile and give it back to the person that picked it out originally. Mm. So Mick is going to be reading Choosers of the Slain by John Mingo. And Susan will be reading Midnight Sins by Oh God, I Poked My Eyes Out. <laughs> um, Choosers of the Slain was the first book that I read back before we started recording the podcast. So if you are interested in reading about that book before we get to that point, 
Um, check out Mix the Blog. You can find that at opinionsandother.blogspot.com. That's right. It's pretty much our blog at this point. Yeah. And you can also read our blog posts about these books that we talked about tonight. Um, also, feel free to follow us both on Twitter. You can find Mick at, at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. And I am at Susan J. That's S three U's S A N J. Um, if you like the podcast, go ahead and find us on iTunes and leave us a nice little review. Help some others find our podcast. We'd really appreciate look it. Who's been getting into podcasts uh-huh. lately? Look at me. I know how, to, how it all works. Now is how to promote a podcast. And also subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Yeah, tell a friend. You know we. Uh, have a lot of people that, well, several people that listen. I know it's kind of a long and weird thing to get into, but why not subject someone on a long car ride to your weird hostage techniques? That's how Mick got me into po- podcast in the first place. Yeah, I subjected to her weird po- my weird hostage things. And somehow we wound up married. Yeah. Uh, our music for this episode, I actually uh, had Susan write it down because I always forget about it. It is Babe of the Night by Elixir. So that is the band Elixir off of their album uh, Rampant. You may notice that all of these things can be moved around and still made a band, a album, and a song title. But Babe of the Night is the song by the band Elixir off of the album Rampant. That'll do it for us. yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Sue, for recording a podcast with me. And thank you... You're welcome, baby. Iowa City Public Library for allowing us to not get book recommendations uh, by email, like an Amazon (laughs) list, because I think that would destroy me. All right. Good night, Matt. Good night, Matt.